Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Smith Show. Now, here is the voice of the working class, Rick Smith. And welcome, brothers, sisters, working class heroes. This is the Rick Smith Show. Thanks so much for being here today on the big program. Lots to get to. Lots to talk about. Interesting day on Sunday on Meet the Depressed. Uh, Elise Stefanik, the representative from New York vying to be vice president, uh, went and steamrolled Kirsten Welker. And, uh, you know, I, I got a question why you even have someone like Stefanik on a program when you know there's nothing of any value coming out of her mouth other than uh, the company line. But uh, she 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 got some attention. Uh, she called the people who are in prison for the crimes on January 6th hostages. And, and look, I've said for a very long time that nobody plays the victim card quite like a conservative. No one plays the victim like Republicans. And and she did. She did it really well. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're against us, uh, the, the poor hostages, uh, and the treatment of our hostages, and and the weaponization of government. And, you know, if, if there was a Clinton or a Biden, it would be fine. But no, no. Oh, poor woe is me. And and Miss Welker just kind of just, you know, she tried some half-handed, you know, well, you know, Hunter Biden. No, no, you, you, you shut that down. And the weird thing is, again, the weird thing is that Elise Stefanik on, on January 6th, 2021 said, quote, this has been a truly tragic day for America. We all joined together in fully condemning the dangerous violence and destruction that occurred today in our nation's capital. Americans will always have the freedom of speech and the constitutional right to protest, but violence in any form is absolutely unacceptable, she said. It is anti-American, she said, and must be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Only now calling those people who broke the law hostages, victims. It's an interesting about face, don't you think? The rewrite has been really very interesting. Uh, one that even Netflix would probably turn down. I mean, you know, Mitch McConnell uh, said that, you know, on the day after that there's there's no question, none, that President Trump is practically and morally responsible 
for provoking the events of the day. A year later on the anniversary, he comes out and says, uh, it's been stunning to see some in Washington, some Washington Democrats try to exploit this anniversary to advance partisan policy goals. No, no. You can't rewrite what happened on January 6th, 2021. You can't do it. You don't get this. And this is why our mainstream corporate-controlled media, the, 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 the Kristen Wilkers of the world, need to spine up. We saw what happened. We witnessed it with our eyes. The rewrite, we are not buying. Here's the thing that's interesting to me. You know, and I was thinking about this over the last couple of days. And I remember thinking this on, on January 6th and 7th. As I watched the, the tough guys, I watched the, the Josh Hollies. You know, as he walked in, he was his fist raised. Cower and run when the attackers, the insurrectionists, the criminals, as they invaded our capital. The Mark Wayne Mullins, tough guy, as they, they hid. The Scott Perrys. The Jim Jordans, the Marco Rubios, the the forehead guy, Matt Gates. After all, those were their people. And it's curious to me, now that we're, it's no longer the day that we believe we were told it was. A horribly tragic day. Um, you know, a, 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 a violent day. You know, it's no longer that. Marco Rubio said there's, there's nothing patriotic about what's occurring on the Capitol Hill. This is the, a third world style um, anti-American anarchy. Steve Scalise said the Capitol Police saved his life. Attacks on law enforcement officers, he said, trying to do their jobs are never acceptable. Period. Period. You go down the list of all of these people who, you know, on the day, Kevin McCarthy... Blaming Trump. I mean, down the list of people condemning the violence. Only two days, weeks, months later. No, no, no. It it wasn't that bad. Oh, no. It was a patriotic day. Look, they're walking between the ropes. Oh, it was a family day. It was a day like any other. And the thing that sticks with me, because if it were truly a day like any other, and, and first, I got a question. Uh, if it truly were a day like any other, I don't know of any other day where people are defecating on the floor and wiping on the walls. I don't know where there's blood all over the, the floor and all over, you know, statues. And, and, and I, I don't know when windows are broken all the time and, and the, the place is destroyed. I'm sorry. I don't know what what most people's living conditions are, but, you know, I, I don't think you defecate on the floor and rub it in the carpet. But here's the thing that gets me. If what we're being told now is true, if it were a patriotic day, if it were a family day, if it were a day like any other, where were the Republicans in the Capitol? Why were they cowering? Why were they holding up? Why were they hiding? Why weren't they out there amongst their people? Why aren't, weren't they out there taking photos? I mean, politicians love a good photo op. Why weren't they out there taking selfies? Hey, look at us. We're defecating on the floor together. Where were they? Truly, I mean, let this let this sink in for a second. If if it were any other day, why weren't they giving tours to their constituents? I know they did the days prior, but why weren't they out there among their people?
because those were their people. Those folks were summoned for them. I'll tell you why. It's pretty simple. Because it was an angry mob. The angry mob didn't care. Because had they gotten a hold of a member of Congress, someone would have been swinging. There would have been blood in our house. And it would have been that of a member of Congress. And they knew that. Understand, they read the intelligence like everybody else did. They knew violence was going to happen. Everyone knew, which is why they ran for cover. If it were what we're told, because what we were led to believe is, well, these were, these were middle-aged white people. They don't riot. The narrative was, that's, you know, those, those people who cause all the, the you know, the, the violence. These are the good people. They would never do such a thing. And yet, when the good people started breaking windows, when the good people started stabbing policemen with flagpoles, um, which I'm still curious how they were allowed to have actual flagpoles at the Capitol. I've been to, to rallies at the Capitol. You're not allowed to have those things. I'm still curious how it is that when the good people broke into the Capitol, they weren't treated with the heavy arm that the Trumps would have wanted them to be. This is the thing that gets me. And, and, and understand, I know why. Because they know they would have been hung. They know they would have been, they'd have been dealt with. Which is why all of this, this rewrite is insane. And the thing that gets me is the, the thing that we're not talking about is, for me, January 6th is, is kind of an important thing in that my entire life, politically, the thing that I've always believed America was exceptional for was the fact that we could have an ideological transfer of power and that we didn't have to kill each other, that we could disagree, we could have differing viewpoints, and our politics would would stop at violence. We didn't have to beat each other. We didn't have to have insurrections. We didn't have coups. I remember in, in school learning about the election of 1800, which is why John Adams was one of my favorite presidents. Not because he did a lot of good things, did some really bad stuff, in my view. But the fact that he left, he lost what was a bitterly contested and tumultuous political battle between Adams and, and, uh, and Thomas Jefferson. But when he lost, he left. Anger, mad, like a thief in the night, you know, often, but he left. And this marked the first time in the history of recorded history, a p ideological transfer of power without bloodshed. That, that makes us exceptional. That's what made us exceptional. The fact that we showed the world that it's possible to have a political system that we we can transfer power without killing each other. That's a pretty remarkable thing. And that, that has been broken. 2021, that has been broken. 220 years, and it's been broken. Because we have a, a former president who could not, would not admit that he lost and was willing to tear down this country. It's, it's remarkable to me. And this moment will go down in history as one of the most shameful, as one of the most disgraceful moments in our history. But to have a Republican Party 
that has attempted to rewrite what we all witnessed. That's really the most disgraceful of all. To have one person like Donald Trump, uh, who, you know, clearly, you, you know who he is. But to have an entire Republican Party, someone like Elise Stefanik, who is going to, well, we know why. It's all about power. It's all about control. I want to hear your thoughts. Where were you on January 6th? And was it a patriotic day? Email me, Rick at the Rick Gonna take a quick break. Right back. We are AFGE, the American Federation of Government Employees. We represent 700,000 federal and D.C. government workers who are the vital threads of the fabric of American life. We support our nation's military. We take care of our nation's veterans. We protect our nation's borders. We respond to our nation's crises and natural disasters. We provide services to our nation's seniors. The American Federation of Government Employees. We work... For America. We are AFGE, the American Federation of Government Employees. We represent 700,000 federal and D.C. government workers who are the vital threads of the fabric of American life. We support our nation's military. We take care of our nation's veterans. We protect our nation's borders. We respond to our nation's crises and natural disasters. We provide services to our nation's seniors. The American Federation of Government Employees. We work for America. Welcome back to the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is Rick Smith. So the thing that gets me is, you know, we, we sat and we watched the January 6th committee put on what was a thorough presentation of the facts. And Republicans chose not to participate, not to question any of the evidence that was presented uh, they chose not to participate because they knew they knew they were wrong. They knew there was no defense. They knew there was nothing they could add that would make it look any any less bad. They did. They knew. They knew that there was nothing in it for them. So what they what they chose to do, quite frankly, is they chose to allow the Democrats and Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney. To, to go forth and, and do a thorough job of, of skewering, basically skewering uh, Donald Trump and laying out the facts. Now, understand, what we saw was what happens when people are, are, are put in a position where they have to put their hand on that book, you know, the Bible that they swear that they love, that they say they love so much where they have to put their hand on that book and swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help them, their God. But really, more importantly, uh, so help them, if you get caught lying, you're going to jail for perjury. Uh, it's it's interesting that when Republicans hold their little kangaroo hearings like they did, you know, in my neighborhood uh, after January 6th, it wasn't, it wasn't under oath because, well, we don't want to get, you know, in trouble. This stuff under oath, and it's interesting what people, what Republicans had to say under oath. And that's why I found it interesting when when Benny Thompson, and and this is this again is one of these these interesting moments when you you look at the reality of where we are. 
uh, Mississippi Congressman Benny Thompson, the chair of the January 6th committee. Uh, in the final public hearing day, he highlighted some key evidence in a video. And and I want to play that video because I think the video is is really, really important. Uh, so so here is here is the the chairman's video right here. Uh, here here's Benny Thompson. But before we do so, it's important to remember what we've learned and critically exactly what happened at the United States Capitol on January 6th. Without objection, I include in the record a video presentation of some of the key evidence our investigation has uncovered. There were officers on the ground. They were bleeding. They were growing up. I, I mean, I saw friends with blood all over their faces. I was slipping in people's blood. As I was swarmed by a violent mob, they ripped off my badge. They grabbed and stripped me of my radio. They seized ammunition that was secured to my body. They began to beat me with their fists and with what felt like hard metal objects. The key thing to do is to claim victory. No, we won. Fuck you. Sorry, over. We won. Yeah. You're wrong. Fuck you. Right out of the box on election night, the president uh, claimed that there was major fraud underway. I mean, this happened, as far as I could tell, before there was actually any potential of looking at evidence. I didn't think what was happening was necessarily honest or professional at that point in time. So yeah. that led to me stepping away. Generally discussed on that topic was whether the fraud, maladministration, abuse, or irregularities, uh, if aggregated and read most favorably to the campaign, would that be outcome determinative? And um, I think everyone's assessment in the room, at least amongst the staff, Mark Short, myself, and Greg Jacob, was that it was not sufficient to be outcome determinative. I told him that I did believe, yes, that once the, those legal processes were run, uh, if fraud had not been established, uh, it had affected the outcome of the election, then unfortunately I believed that what had to be done was concede the outcome. What were the chances of President Trump winning the election? After that point? Yes. None. So what are we going to do here, folks? I only need 11,000 votes. Fellas. I need 11,000 votes. Give me a break. The numbers are the numbers. The numbers don't lie. We had many allegations, and we investigated every single one of them. Did uh, one of them uh, make a comment that uh, they didn't have evidence, but they had a lot of theories? That was Mr. Giuliani. And, and what exactly did he say, and how that come up? My recollection, he said, we've got lots of theories, we just don't have the evidence. You're asking me to do something that's never been done in history, the history of the United States. And I'm going to put my state through that without sufficient proof. It's a tape earlier in the day of Ruby Freeman and Shay Freeman Moss and one other gentleman quite obviously surreptitiously passing around USB ports as if they're vials of heroin or cocaine. 
In one of the videos we just watched, Mr. Giuliani accused you and your mother of passing some sort of USB drive to each other. Uh, what was your mom actually handing you on that video? A ginger mint. Do you know how it feels to have the President of the United States to target you? The President of the United States is supposed to represent every American. Not to target one. I made it clear I did not agree with the idea of saying the election was stolen and putting out this stuff, which I told the president was bullshit. He wanted to talk about that he thought the, uh, the election had been uh, stolen or, or was corrupt and that there was widespread fraud. And I had told him that uh, our reviews had not shown that to be the case. And I said something to the effect of, sir, we've done dozens of investigations, hundreds of interviews, the major allegations are not supported by the evidence developed. Well, my first thought was, where's this is a, a terrible idea. Jeff Clark cannot be installed as acting attorney general of the United States. You ultimately told us that you described uh, this meeting as a, or the, uh, not this meeting, the Georgia letter that was proposed as a, an effing murder-suicide pact. Do you remember using the term murder-suicide pact? Yes. Was it your impression that the vice president had directly conveyed his position on these issues to the president, not just to the world through a dear colleague letter, but directly to President Trump? Many times. My view is that the vice president had, didn't have the legal authority to do anything except what he did. And I said, hold on a second, I want to understand what you're saying. You're saying that you believe the vice president acting as president of the Senate can be the sole decision maker as to, under your theory, who becomes the next president of the United States. And you said yes. And I said, are you out of your effing mind? The president was, you know, all the attention was on uh, what Mike would do or what Mike wouldn't do. There's a telephone conversation between the president and the vice president, is that correct? Yes. The conversation was, was pretty heated. I apologize for being impolite, but do you remember what she said? Her father called him. The P word. Bring up it. Bring it up. It was clear that it was escalating and escalating quickly. So then when that tweet, the Mike Pence tweet um, was sent out, um, I remember us saying that that was the last thing that needed to be tweeted at that moment. It felt like he was pouring gasoline on the fire by tweeting that. They gained access to the second floor, and I've got public about five feet from me down here below. Okay, copy. They are on the second floor, moving in now. We may want to consider getting out and leaving now. Copy. Uh, members of the BPT tell at this time were starting to fear for their own lives. There were calls to um, say goodbye to family members, so on and so forth. Approximately 40 feet. That's all there was. 40 feet between the vice president and the mob. Donald Trump and his allies and supporters are a clear and present danger to American democracy. We got derogatory information from OSINT suggesting that uh, some very, very violent individuals 
uh, were organizing uh, to come to D.C. As Mr. Giuliani and I were walking to his vehicles that evening, he looked at me and said something to the effect of, Cass, are you excited for the 6th? It's going to be a great day. I remember looking at him saying, Rudy, could you explain what's, what's happening on the 6th? Uh, he, he had responded something to the effect of, we're going to the Capitol. It's going to be great. The president's going to be there. He's going to look powerful. He personally asked for us to come to D.C. that day. And I thought, for everything he's done for us, if this is the only thing he's going to ask of me, I'll do it. Uh, well, basically, uh, you know, the president, you know, got everybody riled up, told everybody to head on down. So we basically were just following what he said. Within 15 minutes of leaving the stage, President Trump knew that the Capitol was besieged and under attack. So are you aware of any phone call by the President of the United States to the Secretary of Defense that day? Not that I'm aware of, no. Are you aware of any phone call by the President of the United States to the Attorney General of the United States that day? No. Are you aware of any phone call by the President of the United States to the Secretary of Homeland Security that day? I, I'm not aware of that, no. Did you ever hear the Vice President, or excuse me, the President no. ask for the National Guard? No. Did you ever hear the President ask for law enforcement response? No. You got an assault going on on the capital of the United States of America. And there's nothing. No call, nothing, zero. I remember Pat saying something to the effect of, Mark, we need to do something more. They're literally calling for the vice president to be effing hung. And Mark had responded something to the effect of, you heard him, Pat. He thinks Mike deserves it. He doesn't think they're doing anything wrong. You on the staff did not want people to leave the Capitol. On the staff? I, In I, the White House. I, 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 I can't think of anybody, you know, on that day who didn't want people to get out of the the Capitol once the, you know, particularly once the violence started. No. I mean, What about the president? Yeah. Well, she said the staff. So I answered. No, I said in the White House. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I apologize. I thought you said who, who else on the staff. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I can't reveal communications, but obviously I think, you know, I said, good, John. Now I'm going to give you the best free legal advice you're ever getting in your life. Get a great FN criminal defense lawyer. You're going to need it. General Flynn, do you believe in the peaceful transition of power in the United States of America? Another <laughs> 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 
officer unconscious. The terrorist. What I don't want to say the election's over. I just want to say Congress has certified the results without saying the election's over, okay? Absolutely. Absolutely amazing. I got to tell you, just just amazing stuff. I want to hear your thoughts. Email me, rick at the ricksmithshow.com. For folks watching us on Free Speech TV, we'll see you back here tomorrow. Everyone else listening on the radio, we're going to take a quick break. Back after this. Stick around. You're listening to The Rick Smith Show. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1939. That was the day a new radio show began on CBS Radio. Welcome to the Motion Picture Star's own radio program, the Gulf Screen Guild Show. With Jack Bentley, Joan Crawford, Reginald Gardner. The show featured some of the biggest names in Hollywood. All of the actors' fees were donated to the Motion Picture Relief Fund. The fund was started in 1922 with the motto of taking care of our own. 
Proceeds from the show went to support the motion picture Country Home for Retired Workers in the film industry. These included actors, cameramen, set designers, and even security guards. These retired workers only paid what they could afford to live there. Eventually, the retirement home allowed working people from the television industry as well. Golf Oil sponsored the program for its first three seasons. It was called the Golf Screen Guild Show. Over the years, the show took on several other sponsors and names. It also migrated to NBC, then to ABC, and then back to CBS Radio. In all, it ran for 14 seasons and more than 500 episodes. In its early years, the show was a variety review. It included songs along with dramatic and comedy sketches. Later, the show recreated films for the radio audience. It was a challenge to get a whole film down to just 22 minutes. Films covered by the show included classics such as Casablanca, Arsenic and Old Lace, and Pinocchio. But despite the changes and challenges, the show raised $800,000 for the retirement home by 1942. The retirement home was almost closed in 2009, but continues operations. Workers in many industries have long found creative and collaborative ways to support each other and to truly take care of their own. Like what you hear? Check out more at laborhistoryin2.com. In the serious business of politics, a little humor can be your best friend. I saw its impact 30 years ago in Austin when a group of young, irreverent democracy activists decided to try limiting corporations and lobbyists that were drowning our local elections in their special interest campaign cash. The upstart group gave their grassroots effort a name that was a bit whimsical, yet pointed. Austinites for a little less corruption. It caught on, even though the entire corporate, political, and media establishment united in furious opposition to the reform, 70% of voters rather joyously shouted, Yes! Now, more than ever, we need to rally grassroots Americans in a high-spirited, openly rebellious campaign to save our people's historic democratic values. An autocratic coterie of plutocratic supremacists with unlimited corporate funding already dominates our elections, public policy agenda, and our highest courts. It's not a secret conspiracy. They're quite open about it. But forget the days of million-dollar corporate donations. The arsenal of the systemic corruptors has now been nuclearized. For example, wealth supremacist Charles Koch has just injected $5 billion in his 2024 political operation. It's hard to visualize how much anti-democratic firepower one gets by spending billions instead of mere millions. Think of the difference not in terms of dollars, but time. If you have a million seconds, that's 11 days. But a billion seconds, that's more than 31 years. This is Jim Hightower saying, We can have no progress in America, no democracy, without getting corporate money out of America's political system. For information and action, go to publiccitizen at citizen.org, citizen.org. Welcome back to The Rick Smith Show. Now, here is Rick Smith. I'll tell you, I'm still... Uh, the rewrite of what happened on January 6th is still something that is... I I know I shouldn't be surprised, and I know 
I know it. I, I've been telling you that it's coming and it's happening and I've been pointing this out for the last two and a half years, but I'm still, I'm still sitting here going, it, it's, it's quite remarkable that, that, you know, Elise Stefanik uh, on Meet the Depressed. Uh, you know, gets to come out and say, no, no, they're those 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 hostages, those 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 hostages. No, those are criminals. Those criminals that are in jail, they're not hostages. Those are people who broke the law and went to jail as they should have. Uh, as you know, you said on on January sixth, these are these are people who, who who should be held accountable. I mean, that's the thing that gets me. In her own words, she said that. This behavior is unacceptable, absolutely unacceptable. She said, anti-American, she said, and must be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Well, you know what? Those criminals, they are being prosecuted. I would argue not long enough sentences. I'll be honest with that. Uh, but interesting, interesting script flip. But here to share some thoughts on all of this craziness. I've asked our good friend, former Ohio congressman and political analyst Bob Nay to share some thoughts. Bob. Thanks for taking time for us. Thank you, Rick. So what do you make of this? I mean, you, I, I, I'm looking at this, this meet the depressed bit with this Kristen Welker, who has taken a beating on, on social media. And, and I'm just you know going, how do you let that go? How do you let that, how do you get steamrolled like she did and just let that go? Well, she, uh, uh, Kristen Welker played the tape with Trump saying they were hostages. And then Stefanik, on the floor of the house, which you know, you just said what what she said accurately about need being they need to be prosecuted for extent of the law, blah blah blah. And then when Stefanik was asked about it, she immediately, without hesitation, retaliated against NBC by saying, you know, uh, you played it out of context. But then, prior to that, she actually just launched into issues. So she never answered the question, which then the question should have been posed, well, wait a minute. Now, I'm not taking this out of context. Here's what you said. Do you think now that they shouldn't have been prosecuted, and do you think they are hostages? So, yeah, she got a – I mean a total pass on it. I gotta, I've got to give her credit. Uh, she launched into the whole issue, and what's dangerous is Biden and the border, and that's what's really dangerous in America, and on and on and on. And she wasn't, you know, wasn't posed. No, no it uh, reminded me to, to counter it. Yeah, it reminded me of if you remember the debates with Sarah Palin. Oh yeah, where right. where you know. Uh, she literally said it out loud. She goes, I know you want me to answer whatever you, whatever you ask, but I came here to talk about something else. And, and, you know, I've got my agenda and this is, this is a perfect example of that. Your questions. I don't care about your questions. I came here to say this, uh, and I'm not going to answer any questions. I'm not going to uh, address these issues. I've got an agenda. I I've got a narrative to, to spin. I've got a rewrite to make. Uh, and and you know, look, I've got a distraction to make, and she did it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right, Stefanik did it. She launched right into the issues, really with perfection, one after the other, no hesitation, et cetera, and then was given permission to do it by not being asked the question, the jackpot questions. Absolutely. And this is why our our media is so bad, because you know I, I kept I kept watching this stuff, and I'm going. You know, why do you even have her on? Why is she even on? Why would well, you? It's, it's almost like you're begging for them to beat you up. 
Well, it was interesting because I thought today, what was the purpose of having her on? This was a dress rehearsal for her to become vice president uh, as a running mate with Trump. You know, I, I just don't understand why why her. Yes, I know she's the you know youngest female that got the communications, the number four position in the Republicans. I, I understand all that. And she's a communications person for the House. And I understand all that. But don't have somebody like her on if you're not going to fight back. Yeah. Uh, and least... when I say fight back, ask questions. Ask follow-up questions. Exactly. <laughs> and then yeah, follow right? up when they don't answer the follow-up. Right. You know, but this is I, – I guess I, I – I, you know, I've been sitting here, you know, just watching all of this stuff unfold. And and I'm amazed at at how Republicans and, and I guess it's a master's class on on flipping the script, uh, because I go back to January sixth and January seventh, and I I've read the words of of people like Elise Stefanik and and you know and you know Marco Rubio and you know Rand Paul and and, and other folks and and it's amazing to me how you know the reaction you know. Uh, Kevin McCarthy. Uh, it's amazing how the reaction, you know, immediate reaction has changed over these last, you know, three years and how now it's 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 no longer it wasn't a violent day. It wasn't the worst day in American democracy. It's it's now a patriotic day. It was a, a day of people walking between ropes. It was a family day. It was, you know, it was just like any other day, I'm told. Mm-hmm. Well, then there are those who I, I watched a guy on, uh, you know, uh, Instagram today. And he quite effectively went through the history of attacks of the Capitol, right? And he didn't – it was very fascinating, Rick, because he didn't say these were patriots or whatever. He just went into how this was hyped up compared to – and he went through you know, six different things that have happened in, in the Capitol. And he said that didn't make us lose our democracy, and neither will this. I mean it was a very well-put-together piece. And and you know this is out there. Uh, and then of course you got the extremes where you know Trump thinks they were tourists and and hostages. But uh, how they're changing the narrative on it, uh, you know, is is interesting. You're someone who spent a lot of time in Congress. You're someone mm-hmm. who is who, who's been through that process that they were going through on January sixth. How bad was this? How bad was January 6th? Yeah, how bad was this? I mean, because you well, just you just said yourself, the guy did a very effective job of saying, well, you know, it may not have been that yeah. bad. How bad was this? Well, I think since uh, I was there during Anthrax, I was there during 911, I was there during Ricin, and Anthrax was Anthrax was bad. Uh, we closed the building, et cetera, et cetera. This was a total, however, run on the Capitol. So since the British invaded and burnt the capital, which was bad, uh, this was this was on top of the food chain list of bad things to happen to the capital uh, of, of, of an invasion. Yes, I was there the day. In fact, I passed the shooter the day he went in and shot the, the officer, you know, and then Gibson, uh, Officer Gibson died. I was I I walked past the shooter because I crossed the street and the and the Capitol Hill police grabbed me and uh that was bad, and 911 was bad. But this, in a broad perspective, was much worse than all the other events because it was the total uh, take apart 
of the Capitol, the House and the Senate and, and, the, and the rotunda. Uh, that was total. So this is this was it. It was a, a, a day to to dread. Because, you know, Absolutely. I keep seeing I keep seeing all of this. You know, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't a big deal. You know, what would have happened? Had they gotten into where the representatives were, had they gotten to where the elector, uh, the, the elector ballots were, what what would have happened? What what could have happened? Well, a lot. If you look at the people yelling through the the door to the house, and I saw the two members of Congress, you know, arguing with them. If you and and <laughs> the two members were Republican conservatives, and it didn't matter. Those people yelling through the glass, they didn't even know who they were. They didn't care who they were. They were a member of Congress. They're a member of the system. I don't care if that member said, well, I'm a Republican. It doesn't matter. Maybe you're a rhino Republican. Maybe you're no better than Pence, you know, because they, they, they wanted Pence. I hate to think of what would happen if they got a hold of Pence. Well, I think they were shouting, hang him. <laughs> yeah. So I, and they had zip ties. They had, you know, all these things with them. We'll never know how many guns they had because they went through the windows. I mean, because we'll that's the thing. That. I mean, you know, it's 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 amazing they didn't get a hold of someone. But I, you know, sure. I, I I fear to think what could have happened had they gotten a hold of 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 some of the representatives. And and as I started off today, you know, the the reality is is uh, none of the tough guys, none of the Jim Jordans, none of the Mark Wayne Mullins, uh, none of the Scott Perrys, uh, none of them were out there trying to calm people down. None of them were out there going, hey, maybe don't defecate on the floor and wipe it on the walls. Hey, maybe don't break the windows and, and maybe don't urinate on people's desks. Do you act like this at home? I mean, because this is the thing that gets me. These are their people. You know, why weren't they out there saying, hey, maybe maybe calm it down a little bit? Well, they're they're lucky that people weren't killed because you know there were a couple people killed, but the 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 lady that was trying to breach uh, the door and got shot. I know that door exactly where it's at. If you breach that door, you are within one and a half feet of the floor of the house. You're 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 on the floor, and of course she got shot. You know, that it's their job to not, oh, well, let me step aside because I'm going to trust that you're going to go in there and not kill anybody. No, it's not the way it runs. And I always go back to this point. If this had happened at the White House and people went over the fence, let me ask you a question. What would have happened? Uh, there wouldn't be any question. They'd have, they would have shot them. They'd have shot them. Shot them. That's what would have happened. Everybody knows that. They would have shot them. Now, by the way, there was a December private intel report talking about Antifa groups, talking about Trump supporters, talking about the potential, and this is in the report, the potential for, quote, lethal violence. Lethal. So members had to have known that. Yeah. And I argue that nobody was out there because of the fact that they knew there was a potential for violence, and they didn't go out there. because There was a, a private intel report issued again one month earlier that there was likelihood to have street violence some of which may be lethal is exactly what the report said it would be between antifa trump supporters or far-right groups so they knew that and here's the other thing of course they didn't go out there because they're going to go out there and 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 you're going to stand there and go yeah i'm with you somebody might point to you and say you know what 
you're you're a, a a rhino. You're the problem. Let's get him. That could have happened. Yeah. They knew that. That's why they weren't out there. No, they read the report. No, no, you're right. And this is this is the thing that gets me is, you know, I don't know how you couldn't know that violence was going to happen on that day because, um, look, I'm just I'm just a dumb truck driver. You know, I I I woke up on the I said on the fifth on our, on the show that I fear there'll be blood in the streets because of just what I was reading on Parlor, and and you know I said look tomorrow could be a, a bad day. I had hoped Antifa and and protesters would stay away and they did. Nobody bothered to show up and that was a good thing. Um. But I knew that the, 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 the radical right was coming in huge numbers and, and that they were there for the intent of stopping the certification of that election. That was the stated goal of going there. And that's the part that's just it seems to be lost in all of this. They they showed up with the stated goal of stopping the certification of that election by any means necessary. And, and Rick, let me give you this perspective you know, for sure. Uh, and this is why you saw McCarthy and other members make the statements they did that day. Now they're retracting or backtracking or shutting up about it. The reason they made those emotional statements that day about what's going on, this is crazy, these people are, you know, are, are, are violent or going to kill us. The reason they made that statement is there. you can't have worked, except for Marjorie Taylor, three names, you can't have worked in that building, Capitol of the United States. You can't have been a member there and every day walk in there with thousands of people, uh, staffers, tourists, etc. And you know that the Capitol Hill police are making, you know, three different shifts, laying their lives on to make sure that we all went home, make sure all the staff people went home to their loved ones, right? There's a feeling for the Capitol. There's a feeling for the Capitol Hill police. And when that went down, it made, unless you are not in your right mind, if you served in that building, it made you sick to your stomach. That's what it did. It made you, it wasn't about an election or, you know, who's winning or who stole. It was just sickening because you knew the potential, you know, what was done to policemen beating them up when they stand there and protect you. So that's why you saw members being very honest about things. Then later, they were afraid. To, to stand up to their statements, they were so, afraid. So then the question becomes: What was the flip? Why did it, why did it change? Is this is Trump. this really just about Trump? Trump. Uh, is this about you know political expediency? Is this about winning Trump. elections? What is why the flip? No, I think it was about Trump and the and the arguments you know that that were made that well this really wasn't as bad as it seemed. They were you know these were tourists. You know somebody starts the lead and they don't want to you know get into the whole debate of it and they don't want to admit what they. What they said. I mean, look at what McCarthy said when the documented calls to the president. You know, how do you go back and say, "Oh, I didn't mean that"? Yeah. It's just like I do. <laughs> I do kind of compare it, though. It's it's always the way out with the Iraq War. Some of my colleagues, when posed the question, you know, you voted for that. There were no weapons of mass destruction. Some of my colleagues said, "Well, Saddam was a bad guy." Yeah. I always say the premier of China is worse. Why don't we just go invade Beijing? We get some jobs back too, you know. And and so people make people in politics make a some kind of conscious effort to go back and defuse what they really felt, and that's what they did on this thing. No, it I was agree. ridiculous. 
last line of questioning I got for you on this, because, you know, you yeah. were someone who was in charge of the Capitol Police while you were in Congress. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, why were why were why were the representatives so poorly protected? I mean, with with all that we know, oh. with all that we've already talked about, mm-hmm. you know, how was this allowed to happen? Given mm-hmm. the fact that we knew there was going to be a large protest, given the fact mm-hmm. that, uh, that 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 everyone now knows that there was going to be, uh, mm-hmm. you know, some some bit of chaos, you know, why weren't mm-hmm. there why weren't there more people at the ready? Yeah, one aspect of this that was never you know looked into was the internal internal failure, and I can tell you about this. And I'll compare it to nine one one. The way we evacuated the Capitol was I was on the phone with the deputy sergeant of arms. The Pentagon had been hit. We were in contact with uh, Congressman Hoyer. He was the, you know, um, our ranking member. He was in contact with, with uh, uh, Pelosi. I was in contact with the speaker's office. We made the call to evacuate the Capitol. After that, we got together, we, Republicans and Democrats, without any attack upon each other for two solid years, nothing, and nothing after that either. And we changed the entire system, right? So this time, the, the scapegoat was the police board. <laughs> when they, when the, Rick, I'm laughing because when they talk about the police board, it, they didn't have a vote. Or you don't call the police board, which was established as a pro forma thing, and say, well, what do you, why don't you all take a vote? What do you want to do? This is done internally. There was some type of breakdown of communication because it's so strained between the Republicans and the Democrats that there was a failure to heed the intel reports, and the intel reports themselves were not strong enough. You know, this should have been way better prepared. Now, that doesn't excuse how these people came into the Capitol, but it surely, you know, it was after the fact of trying to beg Donald Trump to to, to get the National Guard in there, which should have been there in the first place. Yeah. It should have been. Has, do you think any of this has been fixed? I mean, because there, cause there, yeah. there are people saying that, hey, this could happen again. Now, I, I don't believe, I think the security is heightened, but here's what I don't think has happened. The Republicans and Democrats, with their assignees, chair of House administration, ranking member on behalf of the speaker and a minority leader, need to make a, make a decision. And they need to decide if, again, what do we do? And they need to completely 100% agree with each other. You can't have a divided system. I don't think that functions that way. Look. I'm with you. With what Steny Hoyer and I had to do, he he was the number two ranking Democrat, you know, until last year, uh, with, with Pelosi then Hoyer. With what we had to do, Steny Hoyer could have attacked me every day. I could have attacked him every day. You didn't want to do this. You want to do that. We could have just played politics, and then you know maybe people die, maybe staffers die because you know we're playing politics with this entire thing. So I would hope that internally, and I don't know whether they have or haven't. They have sat down and decided the exit plan if this happens again. Let's hope it doesn't happen again, but let's hope they've at I least. Uh, I, I, I have no hope that they've actually done this. Uh, but, Bob, I as always, I appreciate the insight. Uh, good stuff. Thank you, Rick. Our good friend, Bob. Now, you want to hear your thoughts, email me, Rick, at the ricksmithshow.com. Going to take a quick break. Right back. Stick around. You listen to The Rick Smith Show. We're working people. Come to talk. I'm Rick Smith. 
And this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1980. That was the day Robert Goss, president of the Oil, Chemical, and Atomic Workers Union, called a nationwide strike against the oil industry. The union sought to negotiate for higher wages and better medical and dental plans in the second year of a two-year contract. 24-hour pickets were set up immediately. For a good portion of the strike, workers at many of the refineries stopped strike-breaking scabs from entering. But some refineries used management and contract workers to maintain production levels effectively. Strikers confronted scabs daily and in a few instances faced violence on the picket lines. At least one manager crossing picket lines was charged with second-degree assault after having rammed his car into a picketer at a Texaco refinery in Washington State. In Texas City, the deaths of two contract workers at an Amoco refinery made news when Amoco refused to allow a union representative to accompany an OSHA inspector through the site. Amoco sought a restraining order against OSHA and accused the agency of interjecting itself into a labor dispute. At Houston's Atlantic Richfield, women mobilized to form picket lines in defiance of an injunction against union pickets. In Los Angeles, area unions including the UAW, UE, ILWU, and the Teamsters formed the Los Angeles Harbor Council in solidarity with the strike. On March 1st, the council conducted a one-day shutdown of the LA ports and strike support rally that demanded victory to the OCAW strike. Oil workers would stay out 14 weeks before the strike was finally settled. They successfully won pay increases and increases in employer contributions to the medical plan and dental plan for the very first time. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. Welcome back to the Rick Smith Show. Check out our website, thericksmithshow.com. Miss any portion of the program, make sure you grab the podcast. Wherever you get your favorite podcasts, you'll find ours. Uh, you know, I keep coming back to, and I, and I, and I know, you know my wife keeps telling me I'm fixated on the fact that, you know, people were urinating on desks and, and defecating on the floor. And and, and just, just, I don't know. I, I, honestly, I don't know what makes you think that, hey, this is a good idea. I I've never done it. Uh, I don't know people who do it. I, I don't know what, what goes on between someone's ears that would make you go, hey, I think it's a good idea to, to drop trow and right here, you know, leave, leave, leave a little present for someone else to have to clean up. Because that's the thing that gets me. I, you know, I, as a working person, my mind immediately goes to look at this mess that you're leaving for someone else to have to come and clean up. The poor guy, the poor woman who's going to have to come up and, and the janitors and the people who are going to have to just all of the mess and all of the, the filth and all of the just the damage that these people created. And, you know, in the days and weeks and months after January 6th, there were a lot of images of just just nasty. And remember, you know, and I, I mentioned this earlier that, you know, we were supposed to believe that these were the good people. You know, they weren't those people. And the reality is, you know, you look on the grounds of, of our nation's capital. These are pigs. They left it a pigsty. Uh, they destroyed everything they came in contact with. 
you know, this, you know, I, I loved some of the narrative after, you know, we, we picked up all of our garbage. No, they didn't. The place was a disaster. And people had to go in and, and clean up after them. Workers had to go in and clean up their mess. And what's interesting is, you know, having been to D.C., uh, I know that a lot of the people who have to clean up that, that mess are a lot of black and brown people, a lot of poor people, a lot of working poor had to go and clean this mess up. A lot of people had to, I, I mean, I stop and I think about some of the stories that I heard from, from congressional representatives about the way the offices looked. When these criminals went in, and, and again, remember, this was supposedly just any other day, you know, they, they went and they knocked on the door. Hey, can we come in? We'd like to have a, a visit, please. Uh, when they came in and they tipped over desks and they ripped up papers and shredded things and threw, threw papers out of filing cabinets all over the floor and, and guys were urinating all over, and I'm sure probably women too, uh, urinating all over desks and all over couches and, and defecating on all these. And I know fixated, but I can't believe people do this. Again, supposedly the good people, the people who are supposed to be, you know, the good people, the good God-fearing Christian people. You're never going to get past the fact that this happened. No matter how much rewriting you do, no matter how much, oh, it was such a friendly family day. Do you want your kids seeing that? Is that what you want to take your kids to? But I go back to, you know, the millions of dollars in damage that was done. Uh, the fact that, you know, lots of overtime hours were paid uh, for workers to have to go in and clean this mess up. And then they have to deal with it. Uh, and what's interesting is these are working people, supposedly, who are in this crowd. Uh, and this is how working people treat other working people. And this is how I know that we, we, we haven't gotten to the point yet of, of solidarity. Where you've got these folks who don't care about who's going to have to clean up after them. They don't care. It's all about them. These, these aren't good people. These are selfish people. And I'm sorry, hostages my behind. They're criminals. They belong in jail. They broke the law. They belong in jail. Sorry, Elise Stefanik. Uh, if, if you'd have said that in front of me, the interview would have stopped. Uh, we, we would have had a long conversation around that. But I want to hear your thoughts. Was it just an ordinary day? You buying the rewrite? Email me, rick at the ricksmithshow.com. I want to hear it. Miss any portion of the program, grab the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you back here next time. You've been listening to The Rick Smith Show. Email Rick, Email Rick. at rick at Show.com. Until next time, this has been The Rick Smith Show, where working people come to talk. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.